Um, so it's nice to see everybody. This is this is um, this is like the biggest third coast I think I've ever been at. Like well, there was a lot of us. Um, so I just wanted to like some opening business, uh, uh, which is that uh, I've made a lot of different kinds of things, and I just want to set that context because I know that like people in this room make everything from. Uh, you know, three-minute radio stories to like 20 minutes, an hour, hour-long projects, um, and so uh, a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today sort of skew more towards longer-form things. But um, what I've tried to do is really uh, kind of drill down to that like feeling of utter despair, like get to the bedrock of despair, um, in a way that that feels a little more universal. So um, just to just to say, you know, I know that there's like, like a lot of use cases we're trying to cover um, uh, when it comes to like creative frustration. Um, so so uh, I, that was something that I was thinking about going going into this. So the the, the place where I want to start is just that I, I, I want to uh, confess that uh, radio has never uh, making radio has never come naturally uh, to me. Uh, I know that there are people who sort of like it, it's just like they they start making things uh, that sound really good right away. Um, and there there were people in newsrooms that I've been in who sounded like they should be on the network and. Uh, that has just never, that's never, never been me. It's always been like a, a scramble up a muddy hill. Um, uh, like one, one, one anecdote that I just want to offer is uh, my voice is not the traditional radio voice. So uh, when I started voicing things at WBEZ, uh, a news director who will remain unnamed, uh, I, I tracked a spot about the attorney general in Illinois, and she, and she told me, uh, you have to sound breathier. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't know what you mean. Like, what? And she was just, just like breathier, you know, breathier. And so, like, uh, I, I went in, and I did it, and I came back, and I played it, and she was like, No, 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 breathier, breathier. Um, but this is all to say, like, uh, it was that was not the right advice. But like, I have at many points been sort of rudderless in this. Uh, so, so I am not one of those people, and that's where this talk sort of um, emanates from. The, the foggy feeling that this talk came out of was sort of like, um, I'm from Milwaukee. Uh, I live in Chicago. <laughs> um, you know when your your car is stuck in the snow? Like, there's different versions of it, and there's the version where you're like. Vroom! And you're like, oh, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there. And then you're like, oh, no, we're not. And then there's the version where the tires are just spinning, and you're like, is that burning rubber? Is that like, like, <laughs> like? So, so like, I, I wanted to get to the point in like the creative process where you're just like, okay, I just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and like, I feel like I've spent, you know, an hour here, two hours here, a day here, uh, and I need to get this thing to move. And so how do I just pry this loose? Um, as a little bit of a preamble, but sort of like just like the framework that, that I feel like um, some of the things that I, I'm going to say come out of, um, I, I have for you just two anecdotes and then, uh, and then a point. Um, so the, the, the first anecdote is that uh, like a few years back, I was talking to uh, Robert Krulwich. Uh, I was feeling particularly like at sea uh, with something that I was working on. Uh, I, I was feeling at sea because uh, I was just going to be in a much sort of uh, bigger journalistic environment. And um, uh, so he said, uh, you know, I interviewed the guys from the, 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 the writing room from The Onion um, a while ago, and uh, they were talking about moving to New York. And they, they, they were sitting around, and he said, how's the transition been? And they said, uh, well, 
um, you know, good. It's been good. And they had this weird vibe, and, and he said, how has it really been? And they said, should we tell him about the call from God? And uh, Robert's like, oh, now you have to talk, tell me about the call from God. And so they're like, okay, so we all kind of have this, this like, similar scenario that we play out in our heads, and it goes, it goes like this. So we're sitting in our house. The phone rings, walk over, answer the phone, and uh, we're like, hello. And um, it's like, oh, yes, I'm glad, glad you're there. This is, uh, this is God. Um, and uh, I called because I heard that you're a, a successful comedy writer. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, really, it's really going great. Um, and he's like, oh, really? And, 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 uh, and, uh, and it's like, oh, well, uh, yeah, we just moved to New York, and we're, we're changing what we're doing. And, and, um, and, and, and then God says, I, you know, so there's been a, there's been a terrible mistake. And you're going to need to go back to Kenosha and finish your life slicing deli meat uh, behind the counter. <laughs> Um, and so this is like, like for me, that was a feeling that, uh, I sort of often had, um, about, you know, when I was sort of like in, in places where I felt like I was, I was being challenged in, in new ways. Um, and it's a particular kind of insecurity. I don't feel like we need to delve into the, the depths of it, but like this, this, this was like, this was my feeling. Okay. So, uh, anecdote number two, um, I love Gene Wilder, um, and uh, I love Willy Wonka. I like I, I just as a performer, I have always loved uh, just the the ease at which he shifts between different things that he does, like the genuineness of what he's like as a performer. Um, I used to sing uh, Pure Imagination to my kids when they were little, um, but so when when Gene Wilder died recently, um, first of all, I was really sad, but I also came to find out that he grew up up the street from me. Um, so on the right, that is the, the house that I lived in when I was little, and uh, on the left, that is three blocks up where Gene Wilder lived um, when he was a kid. Um, and so I don't have an explicit, you know, sort of thing to say about that. <laughs> uh, uh, other than to say that, like, it was the opposite feeling of the deli counter. Um, and so I just, I, I offer those two... Um, anecdotes to you because I feel like something that took me a really long time to sort of uh, just like name and and come to terms with um, and, and and find ways to like sort of uh, work with and put my hands on uh, is the fact that that the process of creativity is uh, an act of psychological self-management um, you know whether it's insecurities or um, frustrations or sort of the pressures that drive you or the things that you find rewarding um, the idea that um, this is something that we can like step outside of um, was something that it, like I just didn't work that way for a long time um, And so that was something that that uh, that I came to uh, And you know, I fully admit that maybe this is something that for people who are a lot more self-aware than me That this is something that you're like, of course it is um, <laughs> But for me, I will say like it took me a while to get there um, so when we're talking about that, that feeling of like the tire spinning in the snow, um, I wanted to just start to like drill down on like what is going on there. Um, and so I wanted to, 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 to make it explicit because I feel like there's, there's lots of ways that this can happen, right? Um, you know, people in this room have probably sat in front of, uh, you know, editing sessions where you've got, you know, your, your clips laid up and you've pulled those from your interviews 
and you just keep listening to them over and over again. <laughs> and you move the order that they're in, and you sort of, you're like, oh, well, I could write around this one in this way, but, oh, wait, let's listen to this one again. And then, like, oh, I should probably cut the middle out of this one. And, like, you're just kind of, like, inching along. And then before you know it, you're just like, oh, I think I'm spending too much time doing this. But, like, I don't know, like, how to, how to, how to get outside of this. Um, but I, so I, I wanted to, to just like start like putting some parameters on that feeling, and I feel like that feeling is the best I could do was the, in, the creative despair is the inability to make progress, refining your concept, writing, arranging material, producing, and editing. Okay, so like very straightforward, um, but not super helpful. Um, so um, this brings me to uh, a, a talk that I don't know if you guys have seen the the, the talk that uh, Jad gave about um, making the the concept for Radiolab originally. Um, if you haven't, it's worth watching. Um, if you just Google uh, Jad Abramrod and Gut Churn, um, it's really good. Um, but I'm just going to do one portion of that uh, for you today, which is so. Uh, a tiny bit of setup, and then we're going to listen to a, a tiny piece of it. Uh, so he talks about how uh, before the, he started the show, um, uh, Michael Elsesser at WNYC came to him and said, so we want you to make something, uh, and the only thing is that uh, it, it make it sound like nothing else out there. Um, so it's like reinvent public radio, which is like no pressure, like, you know. Um, <laughs> So, uh, uh, so, so Jad, at that time, he was doing a show on the AM station um, at nighttime, which was like, a, it, like nobody listened to it. They turned the power down so nobody can hear it. Um, <laughs> and, and he was doing sort of this, this, this like wandery like documentary show. And then he started like playing with sound. He's a, he's a, a, a music guy, as most of you know. And so eventually he got to this point where he made some sonic IDs for the show. And he plays a couple of them in this talk. I'm just going to play the last one for you um, and then what he says afterwards. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Lab. On New York Public Radio. W-N-Y-C. Wait, what? what? <laughs> Keep listening. Okay. Uh I mean, it's just fucking around, really. Um, but I cannot tell you why that collection of noises was important. It sounds kind of quaint to me now. But when we heard it the next day, it was the first time that we actually had heard anything. And we thought, huh, we could be that. That's interesting. It was sort of like we were lost in this forest. And then suddenly, in the darkness, this arrow appeared. And it was like pointing the way somewhere. We didn't, weren't quite sure where, but it said, follow me. Okay, so pretty abstract, um, but I, I feel like um, what what like what I took away from that, and sort of what I what I I came to um, in thinking about this is that this is actually a, a, a pretty is like if you if you if you break it down to like its core, it's kind of a practical problem. Um, so I I feel like when when we're spinning our wheels. Um, 
we're, we're, we're having the inability to take actions that give us meaningful information um, that help us shape the thing that we're trying to get to. Because, right, we're trying to close the gap between um, sort of the original concept that we had for the thing and then the way that it can actually exist in reality given all the constraints that we have, given the tape that we have, given, like, the reporting that we've done, um, uh, the deadlines that we have, all of that. Um, so. So uh, it's either that, that we can't take actions that we're then like, oh, this illuminates how I get closer to, to the thing that I want to make, or we can't make choices um, that get us closer. Like we're just making choices that, that sort of allow us to play things out, but then not actually test them out. So um, when I'm writing something, a lot of times uh, I will write when I'm half asleep. So I'm like at like three o'clock in the morning. I will like find myself like half half asleep writing a transition over and over in my head, um, and it's n almost never productive. Like, and it's <laughs> it's it, it's almost never productive because um, I don't. Uh, okay, this might be a little obscure. I wasn't planning this as part of this talk, but like when I was a kid, I used to play so much Tetris that I used to imagine the pieces in my head. And you can start to imagine them, but you can never keep track fully. Like, you lose track of, like, where all the pieces are. So it's like, it, you, you might do it obsessively, but, like, it doesn't actually mean anything. So, and I feel the same way about, like, the, like kind of writing in your head at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Or, um, and that's not to say, like, I believe in that sort of, like, back of the mind sort of simmering of things because I think that ideas come out of there. But I think in actually trying to, like, test things out and get things done, um, it's very easy to, like, spin your wheels in that territory. And what you're looking for is to put some structure and some shape on your process um, where, where you're, you're getting good information for yourself um, so that you can move forward. So... Um, after all of that, uh, after all of that abstraction, I want to talk about some some concrete stuff, some real stuff. Uh, this probably looks familiar to this this room. So I feel like this, like this is this is the goal, right? Um, so this is like a, this is a, a session from a finished piece. Um, we've got our we've got our scoring, we've got our voice tracks, we've got our our um, our, our clips up there. Um, and it is every, all of all of our process is geared at ultimately arranging things in this order. So I want to just like dial us back in the in the timeline here. So this is the same piece. This is all of the interviews. This is four hours of interviews um, with all of my selects, selects pulled. So like all the things that I like. Um, so it's the it's the board on which you can be tortured. Um, <laughs> So here's here here here's all of my selected clips, and and this is I feel like at least for me this is a spot where I end up sort of like um, losing a lot of traction because um, I will be in that scenario where I'm editing clips, I'm I'm you know I'm cutting things in clips uh, that aren't really important for the decisions that I need to make at the time, but I'm sort of like finessing little things that that, that don't matter. Um, so. Uh, I want to I want to I want to go to um, a, a, a story um, and just sort of talk through it and then talk about um, a, 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 the process that I use for structuring and what I feel like it, it can it has shown me about sort of this decision making process and making this decision making process go when it feels like it won't go. Um, so there was a story. Um, a, f a few years ago that I produced with a writer named uh, Logan Hill for This American Life, and it was about somebody who he'd met who had run away to the sci-fi author Piers Anthony's house. Um, 
So it's this kind of beautiful story, and, and I'll give the pitch just as the, as, the, as the setup because it sets up the first clip. He was like, okay, so I loved this sci-fi author, Piers Anthony. Like, he was, he was my thing. And um, uh, when I was a kid, I dressed up as him for, uh, for school. Like, they had, a, they had a thing for school where you were supposed to wear a costume of a notable American, and so other people were like, Susan Anthony, and like, you know, uh, you know, MLK, and he was like, Piers Anthony. <laughs> and um, so he, 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 like, did the thing, and, like, he goes to school, and, and of course, all the parents are like, who are, who are you? Um, so, so that happens. So fast forward, that's, like, the, the, the shape of his obsession. Also... Um, part of his obsession, what he loved about these books, was that there were these author's notes at the end where Piers Anthony would sort of write about his life. And sometimes they would be like 40, 50, 60 pages of just like a letter to his fans. Um, and Logan read these so obsessively. He remembered when, when Piers Anthony upgraded his RAM from 256K uh, to 500K. <laughs> like he was, he was really into it. So, so then he goes, he's like, he's in his 20s. He goes to a wedding off the coast of, of North Carolina, and um, he, he meets this guy, Andy. And um, I think that takes us to the, the clip. I'd gone to the coast of Georgia for a wedding. A bunch of friends of the couple, barely out of college, had gone out early to party. I was waiting in the ocean with this guy, Andy, a friend of the groom. At some point, it came up that I was a writer, and Andy asked me who I read when I was a kid. I could have said some hip sci-fi author like Philip K. Dick or William Gibson, but I told Andy the truth that I'd been obsessed with this guy, Piers Anthony, who wrote about centaurs and ogres and unicorns. And Andy cut me off. Me too, he said. I was obsessed. This didn't happen very often, so I got a little competitive. I said, no, I was so obsessed, I impersonated him. And Andy said he was more obsessed, really. And then I one-upped him by talking about my special letter. We went back and forth, out-nerding each other, until finally I blurted out, what? You weren't the kid who ran away to his house, were you? Actually, you said, were you that kid that ran away, from, huh? ran away from home to go visit him? That's right. I totally remember that now. This is Andy. And the way I remember it is that after I said that, Andy just seemed sort of stunned. And what did you think about when I said that? Um, and I think I, I think I had a like a young person's flash of like, am I notorious? <laughs> you know, like... I was shocked that anybody had heard of that because I, it's not, it wasn't a story and still isn't to this day, although I guess today being an exception, it's not a story that I've told to very many people. Okay, so, so that, was, that was sort of the, the shape of his pitch coupled with he actually runs away to Piers Anthony's house and shows up at his house in Florida. Um, so I want to play uh, another, another clip, um, which is... So um, Andy was this miserable kid in, in high school, like just, you know, like um, had a really hard time socially, uh, was really introverted, had a tough time at home, had a stepfather he didn't get along with, like, you know, just like sort of classic. And then he, uh, so, so he makes this decision, um, I'm going to run away to Piers Anthony's house and see if he'll let me live with him. And uh, he was like, then he goes to the bank. He takes out his entire college fund. He walks to the airport, like walks to the airport, like eight miles. Um, and then like there's all of this action that follows that where, he, where he's like going down to Florida. And so I want to play you a clip of just some of the action of when Andy is, is running away. I kissed my mom goodbye and said, I'm off to school. 
And instead of going to school, I walked to the airport, which is, uh, <laughs> I'd have to look at a map now, but I think the, I mean, it was at least eight miles. And I wasn't totally clear on how to get there. Um, so I think it took me like four or five hours to get in that general direction and then sort of figure out where the airport was. Andy walked up to the first ticket counter he saw and bought a ticket to Orlando for 300 some dollars. This would be his first time on an airplane, his first trip anywhere without his family. He started to worry about his mom. So he bought a postcard with a picture of Niagara Falls on it, and he wrote something about how he had to go away for a while and might visit again in a year, maybe next Christmas. Andy hoped that would be reassuring, so he dropped it in the mail. Then he got on the plane and hit play on his Walkman. What did you imagine was going to happen? Like, What was the goal of all of this? Uh, the, I think the goal was to live somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the goal was very simply just what it was. Like, I wanted to go live with Piers Anthony. Was there a worry at some point, like, Piers might not go along with it? Or might, you know, were you certain that you would get there and everything would be cool? Uh, n- Yeah, that's a good question. No, no, I was not certain. But I think I just, well, we'll just, I'll worry about that when we get there. Let You know, let's see what happens. And I had all kinds of, like, pie-in-the-sky fantasies of like what it would be like to live there with him you know, happy days. (laughs) Yeah, what did you think a day would be like? Uh, That we would get up and, uh, you know, I could, you know, cook breakfast for the family and then we would go out into the woods or the fields and ride horses or, like, grow food or do work around the house. You know, I think I I wanted... the, the, The days would be purposeful for some reason. Or they would be exciting. Um, Logan, can you correct me if I'm wrong? Does Piers Anthony play the harmonica? Yeah. I imagine him teaching me how to play the harmonica. Yeah. Um, yeah, just like whatever. I imagine myself participating in the daily life that was the, the Anthony household. Andy touched down late in the afternoon on that Monday beamed in from the icy cold of Buffalo to the tropical warmth of Florida. He couldn't believe that it had worked. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to stop it there. There's like this charming anecdote about how like he has this pocket full of money and he's, uh, he's a teenager and he's like, well, well I have a, a day to kill. What am I going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go to the art supply store. So he like takes a cab to the art supply store and goes crazy buying colored pencils. Um, but there's... Uh, <laughs> It, like the 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 thing that I wanted to to talk about was um, was to show you the structure that I made for that story. So that that's a story where I, I like you know, in some ways it's kind of straightforward, right? It's it's a quest, um, and so there's a lot of just like chronological action, 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 action. So this is this is how I I, I structure. Um, I gave a talk at Third Coast a couple of years ago about how. So I used to do this with numbers, and it took me like. 10 years to come to this process of numbering my logs and then structuring using the num- numbers just as like shorthand. And then I remember one day I was watching Ira structure something with, with letters and I was just like, oh, wait a minute, that's how you, that's it. And he was like, he was like, yeah, didn't we ever, did we show you this? And I was like, no, nobody ever showed me that. 
Like, <laughs> I just spent 10 years clawing my way. Um, so, um, but so, so these are like these are letters from from the log. And then what what I what I did is sort of like build roughly the story that I wanted. And what this is, I think, is an assertion of process onto disorder. Like that's that's all that it is. Is it's like giving you a way of like putting a handle on something that is slippery. Um, by 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 making a system, um, and so what you have in the in the red, like those are things that I I sort of started with because I was just like I don't think there's a version of this story where these moments don't exist. So it gives me Im immovable objects to sort of like build around. Um, the other thing that it did for me is uh, so. You can see, like, there's like J, map, K, money, L, walk to airport, N, postcard. Um, and it goes all the way through to, like, the drugstore. And then he gets to, like, Piers' house. And he's like, here, Piers with the exclamation point. That's where he, Piers actually comes to the fence. But everything in between there, you'll see, like, the, the bracket on the left, I made that because what, I was what, I, what this structure showed me was I was just like, that's just all action. It's just all action. Like, it's an accordion. I can collapse it. I can, you know, I'm going to do something with it. All these points might be in there, probably will be in there, but I don't have to deal with it right now. Like, in order to make this whole structure, to make it work, I have to figure out where the points are where it can break. And that is not a point where it's going to break. Like, there's going to be some version of that. Um, so... Um, it's like a process of like pushing off the table things that you don't want to spend your time thinking about by accident. Whether that's a piece of tape that actually you know is probably going to end up being in there, or like a stretch of story that you know that you're probably not necessarily going to be able to nail, but you're going to be able to make like a functional version of it. So like start pushing that stuff out of what you're worrying about. Um, the other thing that this showed me is, so up at the top, like, the author's notes were really important because I think that they set up the stakes for their premise for Andy and Logan's relationship, but they're also sort of an embodiment of Logan's investment in the, in the story. Um, I thought, though, that like just from this initial structure, you can see I structured it wrong because I have the notes coming later in the story when in actuality that, that thing that happens with Andy, like I knew I wanted to, to try and get the, the magic of that landmine of confetti when he's like talking to, to Andy and he's just like, you weren't the kid from the author's notes who ran away and went to his house, right? And he's just like, oh, well, actually, yeah, you know. Um, like I wanted that to happen on the radio. And so when we interviewed Andy, um, we made a point of having him just like reenact that whole conversation so that we could get that transition that you end up hearing in the story. Um, but I had that moment coming early. Like what this showed me was like, oh, I, I just I need certain things on stage when that for that to happen and for it to mean anything. And like so staring at this, I was like, how do I tell the notorious moment if you don't know what the author's notes are, if you don't know um, Logan's background? Like you got to have all of that. So it, it, it told me sort of where things um, where things needed to go. Um, that's all to say. Uh, this thing on the right, which is, I feel like uh, as sterile and sort of like, um, I don't, like heartless is not the word, but like kind of like anti-emotional or anti-creative as it can feel to like think about your process and to break it down into phases, um, at least for what has happened with me, like I feel like th that has been something that has been super valuable to me in prying myself out of sort of these situations where I was just like, moving tape and moving tape and moving tape and, and you know, writing the same section over and over and over again. Um, 
So I want to move on to something uh, a little bit different, which is, so I, I'm sorry, I didn't bring enough of these, but I sent um, four questions uh, about this particular situation to a bunch of people. Um, it just so happens that like, uh, all the people who wrote me back are from uh, are this American Life people, and I know that that looks weird, but it's, they're just my friends, so they like <laughs> your friends write you back when you write them with weird questions about their process. Um, so, um, as a pivot into that, um, uh, Zoe said something about all of this, which uh, I feel like is useful in and of itself, but is also sort of the premise for for, for why I did that. Um, she said, um, "Call someone, talk to particular smart people, not just like any asshole." Um, which I feel like, uh, it, just as, as general practice, as a stop along this road that we're on, um, the idea of just calling people who can, can give you feedback when you can't generate it internally, um, I, I bet that that's a move that lots of people in this room use, but just to, to advocate for it. And in the spirit of that, I sent these questions to uh, uh, about a dozen people. Um, and so, so you've got the, the results of that. But I wanted to, to, to get to um, some things that people said about writing. Um, because uh, that process with, okay, here's action, 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 action. I don't have to deal with that. Let me take the transitions and the turns and take those on first because that could actually sink my boat. Um, that's come to be the, the way that, that I prefer to work. Um, there's, a, there's a story that I did about um, uh, 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 pig rectums and whether they were being, we'd gotten a tip that they were potentially being pawned off as fake calamari uh, a few years ago. And uh, so I investigated that. Um, uh, it turned out not to be, like there was no satisfying answer was the truth. And so uh, there was like a reporter's quest that happened in that story. And then there was a moment afterwards where I was like, this, this has got to do something differently. Um, and I knew, I knew that the reporter's quest was going to work because, like, you know, calling the Squid Fishermen's Association of America is funny. Like, so I was just like, all, like, all of those things all along the way are going to happen, 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 happen. And so I actually didn't write that very early on. Like, I just set that tape, sort of like that pallet of tape aside, and I was like, I will work, I will work you out later. But like I've got to figure out like how I how I keep this thing alive um, after after I, I don't have a satisfying end to that reporter's journey. Um, so it's it's that that's my approach to structure and writing. But I, one of the most interesting things is like the, like these these are folks who I've talked to about the, these types of things. But seeing their answers next to each other actually told me something about sort of like what we're trying to drill down on today. Um, so Robin said. Uh, I solve a lot of story problems by chewing on structure. So it sucks bad when I'm trying to draft something and I get hung up on the writing. Like what happened to all the effort I sunk into the structure? Um, Jonathan said, I write and rewrite up until the last minute. Um, there's always this feeling that I can make it a little bit better. Um, and then so I wrote him back and I sort of told him the thing that I tend to do, which is like just like shove the stuff off that I feel like I can count on and like try to do the hard things first. And he was like, oh. I do the fun stuff up front and avoid the hard stuff because the fun stuff comes out in more of a burst. It's the energy that sustains the hard work of the later stuff. Um, which I was just like, you can't argue with the results. Like, um, but like the, the thing I couldn't help but think was I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm totally the kid that sits there and eats like 
all of the thing that he doesn't like because and then like goes to the thing that like saves the you know and and Jonathan's just like dessert like um which I, if if that's if that's if that's what works for you like it, you know total great um so and then then um Hannah said I love the reporting and structuring and I always get stuck on the writing um, I think the only reason I ever write anything is because I make radio. So writing can actually be mostly about structuring tape. So the point of, of, of this is just like one of the interesting things I found when people wrote me back was I was just like, oh, these are kind of dissonant. Um, like these are like they're, they're, they're different. Uh, so like what, what can I take away from that? And what I took away from that is uh, what everybody was doing in common, and I think you'll find this if you read those, is um, they were being aware of how they perform in certain phases of the process, and then they were positioning those parts of the process in their process, right? So the things that they, um, that they found motivating, they were like, you know, wedging into a certain portion where they could sort of exploit that, that energy that comes out of that. They were taking the things that um, can sort of hang them up and be uh, uh, unproductive and finding a way to just like contain that sprawl, like um, either with a deadline or with like a, a piece of process. Um, so that was just, I don't know, it was really interesting to me to see that, you know, across sort of these varied processes by people who I love everything that these guys make, you know. Um, uh, that, that everybody was thinking about it differently, but that seemed like to me the common gen genetics and sort of, I don't know, it felt, it felt useful to me to, to sort of think in a, in a bigger way beyond sort of like the way that I've, I've cut out for myself. And so um, I came up with, a, uh, with the second thing that I, I feel like I can offer, which is uh, creative self-management benefits from uh, self-awareness and experience, right? So it's just like going through the process and noticing, like, where did I crash? And where did, you know, like, wh like what did I run into? And how can I create a bridge that goes over that river um, in, in the future? I think that... Um, uh, smarter folks would come to that uh, quicker than I did in my life, but like I, I feel like that, like th like that, that was a that was a a, a, a long sort of process for me. Um, so um, okay, so so uh, with the with the time that we have, which is a few more minutes, um, and then and then we can do some questions. Although I don't know what questions for this session is going to be. I feel like it's going to be a little bit more like group therapy. Um, <laughs> But uh, so, so uh, what I tried to do was crystallize sort of what we've talked about so far into some questions that I hope, hope can be useful. And I feel like there's kind of tools that fall out of these questions. So where am I prone to spend too much time making decisions of diminishing returns and how do I contain that sprawl? What are the critical and difficult decisions and where do I position them in my process? Uh, what are the things that I'm less likely to struggle with and how do I position those? Um, what am I sure of? If I clear that away, can I see what I'm struggling with? Like, like, can I just like sort of like clear the brush and and see um, the the things that are really sort of tripping me up? Um, uh, what are the tools that I can use to force structure onto inaction? Um, so uh, there, there's there's something that Jonathan th said that I that I thought was interesting. Um, I'd never thought about deadline pressure in this explicit of a way, but he's he said a thing about. Um, so Jonathan Goldstein said, um, "I set my deadlines so that I fear um, the embarrassment of failure in front of people who I respect," <laughs> 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 which I feel like. Um, 
yeah. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I, I feel like that is about the most positive harnessing of sort of like fear of a failing draft that you can that you can come up with, um, but also a really useful way to sort of like think about planting those along the road. Um, he also said it's all of those base emotions. So I feel like the base emotions, like the, the fear, the anxiety, the frustration, like how do I turn those so that if any way possible, like they could be working in my favor. Um, and then the last one, which I just want to linger on for, for a second, um, is uh, how can I look at this from another angle? Um, how can I zoom in on what I'm making and how can I zoom out? Like how can I make a tiny structure that sort of encapsulates this whole thing so that I can see it more clearly? Um, and if, if there was an original pitch, like if at some point in time I expressed this vis the vision for this thing in like two paragraphs um, that somebody was like, that sounds really good. Um, then like, like, like what is it that they were seeing in that original vision and like how have I departed from that or like how is the material that I have fighting with that? Um, so, so I feel like those are just sort of like um, questions and strategies that I think emerge from sort of like this nexus that we're, we're talking about um, and that I, that I found to be useful. Um, and since we have time to do it, um, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna go into another story um, and then talk about um, something that Julie Snyder does that I, I just find to be, that, 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 that it changed my life. Um, it did. It changed my life. So, um, so uh, the 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 first story that I actually ever did for This American Life when I uh, started with the show um, was uh, one called the the first rule of the Apple Store. And what it was about is it was about this guy who um, was having a really frustrating experience with an iPhone. He'd bought like the first generation of the iPhone, which you had to take out like a mortgage for, and uh, it didn't work. Like, it died all the time. The battery didn't work. He was really upset. So he goes to the Apple store, and they're like, all right, well, you know, two hours. That's you got to wait two hours. So he waits two hours and then uh, goes up there, and he's like, what, what um, can I, you know, is it time? And they're like, oh, no, sorry. It's probably another two hours. Um, at which point he kind of loses his cool, um, gets into an altercation, leaves, goes home, is just, like, fuming, and um, and then, uh, so th this, is, this, is, this is what happens next. How can I spend $600 for a thing that does not work? I don't make a lot of money. And uh, so, you know, I was kind of steaming, you know, smoking a little pot like you do. It's, it's medicinal, you know, I promise. And uh, I was watching Fight Club. What? Fight Club was on TV. I want you to hit me. As hard as you can. And I, I was just, you know, watching you Fight Club, chilling out, trying to calm myself down. Come on, hit me for a so Joe's on his couch, a big puffy boat of a couch that presumably used to be white. Joe has his laptop. He's distracting himself by looking at Facebook. And like he said, he's watching Fight Club. And uh, the scene from Fight Club comes on where, where Ed Norton's boss walks in with a piece of paper and he's like oh i found this on a copy machine first rule of fight club is second rule of fight like do you know anything about this well i gotta tell you i'd be very very careful who you talk to about that because the person who wrote that is dangerous and this button-down oxford cloth psycho might just snap and then stalk from office to office with an armalite ar-10 carbine gas-powered semi-automatic weapon pumping round after round in the colleagues and co-workers. 
This might be someone you've known for years. Someone very, very close to you. I kind of took it and paraphrased it a little bit, and my status was... Joe's status on Facebook. (laughs) And I'm reading it here. Joe Lapari might walk into an Apple store on Fifth Avenue with an Armalite AR-10 gas-powered semi-automatic weapon and pump round after round into one of those smug, fruity little concierges. This may be someone you've known for years, someone very, very close to you. Just so you know, I did ask Joe about his use of the word fruity here, and he told me that no, it was not homophobic. He was just trying to describe the guy's demeanor. Uh, No, I'm the least homophobic. Like, I have a gay cousin. I'm the least homophobic person in the world. In any case, he types this thing into Facebook, and he posts it. And that's that. For like an hour... He just sits there, feet on the coffee table. And I get a, a, a like a shave and a haircut, two bits, knock on the door. And I just think, hey, one of my buddies got in, didn't have to buzz, great. Joe jumps up, goes to the front door. Uh, yeah, without even, without even looking through the peephole, I swing the door open, kind of go to lean on the, you know, the door jam, and that's when I see that there's an officer here standing right in front of the door, two behind him, and one at the top of the stairs, like, Covering the high ground. <laughs> okay. So um, the problem uh, with that story um, is the way that it looks on paper um, and the, when, it, when it, the pitch initially came in is you sketch it out in your head as like, oh, this is like you like, uh, you're out really late, you have like two too many, and then you like say something that in the morning you're just like... <sighs> Um, and like, that's the normal experience, right? So, so, uh, but the thing about, um, Joe, um, and I say this with, with all due affection for Joe Lapari, like he is not, not unlikable. Um, like, right. Like he's not having the normal response to, to like, to what is happening in, in his own, in his own story. Like, and, and this was like something that was prevalent throughout the interview, like he'd gotten kicked out of Catholic school for swearing at a nun, and and he was proud of it as a grown adult. Like he like he like relished the fact that he had like sworn at a nun, and that's like how he'd gotten kicked out of school. And so, like one of the things that 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 I've run into is that it's hard to tell stories about characters that that you don't feel empathetic towards. Like this story would function in a totally different way if you felt empathy towards Joe and you were just like, oh, he's run into this situation. He, he made a mistake. He acknowledges the mistake. And like now he's in kind of a world of trouble. But like all the way through like court, yeah, he's like going to court in like Hawaiian shorts and stuff. And then like, you know, I knew this was happening in the interview, like, like when, like, and when I saw the actual status itself and like the, the use of the word fruity, like, which I would like the whole time was just like, Oh, like you, like, so anyway, so, so the, the question was like, could the story sort of live with that as the issue? And so I knew that, um, I had the material for the action of it, right? Like, I had the material for, like, he goes to the Apple store, the phone breaks, this happens, the altercation goes home. Like, all of that is going to work fine, but you are going to get to a moment where you you are either, like, does our hero get out of trouble? Um, Or what is the story about? Like, if you're not rooting for the guy, then, like, what is going to make the narrative tick? And the only way that I got to that was to step back from it um, 
with with the guidance of people who I was talking to about the structure because I'd structured out the whole thing and like focusing, you know, sort of in the same way as the as the unicorn thing on the on the on that on the end. Um, and so if, if you ever listen to the whole story, what it becomes is a verdict on Joe's personality um, and whether he would come to terms with this and grapple with this in sort of a, in the way that you would expect like a human being to, to grapple with this, um, which the answer shockingly is no. Like, I, like I, I took him into a studio and I like, I kind of beat him up for like an hour, like just like taking him to that intersection over and over again. And eventually he said this thing, um, which strangely with, like, didn't surrender to that reality but felt really true. Like he said, this is the way I've been all my life. Um, some people hate me for it. Some people also really appreciate it about me. Um, and why would I focus on the people who hate me for it? And I was like, touche, Joe Lapari. Um, um, so that is all to say that act of like scaling up um, in some way and sort of like looking down in miniature at the thing that you're trying to make. Um, I have this in, in the answers that I laid out, but, but what, I, what, what I describe is um, something that I saw um, Julie do early on when, when I, was, I was editing a piece with her um, that was like, I brought in a draft that was like 55 minutes, which I didn't know at the time was fine. Um, it was supposed to be like 30, 35 minutes. That's what the story was supposed to be. And I read this 55-minute draft, um, and she, she had her notes, and we're sitting in the office, and I was just like, oh, that did not go well. And um, she was like, I think you're going to be fine. And she was like, I just need to stare at this for a second. And so she stared at the structure for the piece, and then she started writing. And she wrote what essentially looked like a haiku. Like it was like, you know, like 12 lines long. And she was like, okay, I think the structure goes like this. And what the structure was built of was um, sort of all the beats of the story with as little information as you could possibly have to like understand what was going on at that point in the story. So the, the, the way that, that I put this is like, uh, so it's like Jack wakes up, realizes he's left the box at the place, but he knows that he can't go back. He panics for a while. He knows that no one else knows, but he realizes he has to call Jimmy and explain. Okay, so it's just like the utter bare essentials of like what is making that beat happen and what is happening in the action and like maybe a little bit indicating about what people are feeling. Um, but it boiled the structure for this like 55 minute draft down to like its essential pieces of action and um, what she what she made work in it, um, like by doing that, also by the fact that she's just unbelievably amazing, um, is she made like sort of the transitions work in miniature, and so it was clear where am I missing things? Where is there writing that I don't have that I need to like come up with ideas to like glue the thing together? Where is the mortar missing between the bricks? What bricks are missing? Like just like looking at the essential elements. Um, so, so uh, I would just offer that up as just like a, a strategy um, uh, and, and one that I think is, is, is useful in whatever form you can deploy it. So um, that's what I have. Um, uh, should, we do, should we do questions? Let's, let's start here and then... I kind of feel like I should be doing karaoke or something, but I was, um, so you put that thing up, the, um, the page when you, uh, put the alphabet, the blue and the red. 
Uh-huh. I'm a little bit short-sighted. Yeah, that one. So I kind of wanted... I had a, a ton of questions about this, really. One will tumble out over what I'm about to say. But uh, the question is about sort of organize, organizing the structure of your piece, um, mm -hmm. the way you did it on that page, which I've never seen before, and that's brilliant. And also the... Um, like you also showed the Pro Tools session before. So how... Um, what can you say about, um, like, uh, for those slightly less organized of us that work on pieces and then have, uh, instead of a four-track Pro Tools session with nice little clips over it, very orderly, have, like, 26, <laughs> 26 tracks of little bits of pieces and edits and re-edits and couplings, uh -huh. and then we'll have maybe, like, uh, another 47 pages written with scribbles over it and crosses through it and you turn the page and it might take us maybe uh, a week <laughs> to actually figure out what what draft we're working on at that time that we're not working on the wrong draft. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like oh, there's yeah, a no. whole like nuclear explosion of stuff and writings and clips and tracks. Like how do we how, what's your view of that, of how to boil that down into, oh, cool, one page, that's a story right there. Yeah, like no, I mean, I mean, um, just to say, like, that, that is, that is that's me in my natural state. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, like, and, and, and this, I feel like, like, this is, like, this is partway through a process that I've kind of forced on myself, because otherwise, I've got the tracks, I've got all the clips, like, they're running away from me, I'm, like, recutting them, and, like, you know, just, like, doing things over and over again. Um, where the letters come from is that is just me going through all of my logs and literally just like marking what do I like, what is interesting, what do I think could end up in the piece, and then giving it a letter and a, roughly a name, just so that it becomes something that I can handle in my brain in shorthand. Um, and I replaced it with letters um, after seeing Ira do it because I find it easier to keep track of the numbers. Um, Right, so there's very few places where this skews from alphabetical order, right? But that's partially because this was such a chronological story, right? So in the interview, like we started at the beginning and we went all the way through to the end. Like really the only two places where there were, there was, there were variables was like the end of it and then the beginning of it. Because it was like, how do we set it, how do we like set the things in motion, and then how do we sort of bring it in for a landing? Because we did this thing where we called peers, and like we were like, hey, do you remember him? And he was like, oh yes, I do. Um, so um, yeah. Yeah. So the question is, um, are there strategies for figuring out um, when something should be killed? Um, and I feel like. Uh, I don't know if there are strategies, but I, 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 I'll tell you something that that happened to me um, that was illuminating. So I was I wanted to do a story on there was a, somebody who was a whistleblower at the FBI in the '90s, having to with the forensics lab at the FBI. He was like. Um, this is junk science. We are parading this around the country. Um, people are making assertions in courtrooms that they can't really make, and like it turned into this huge scandal. Like they, they overhauled the forensic lab at the FBI. So I found out that this guy was 
um, had, had um, become a lawyer after that and was had a little tiny law office in North Carolina where he was one case at a time reviewing the, the, the cases that had come out of the, of the forensics lab during the time in question, um, which I was just like, oh, that's great. Like the premise was just like, I, I thought it was like, I loved it. So I tried to do this story um, and uh, he was a lovely, lovely person. He was unreliable as a narrator because he was so, um, he had such a, an ax to grind with the FBI even years later. And so you didn't trust his recounting of sort of like just the world that you were operating in. So, um, so I made two drafts of that. One was 65 minutes long. One was 75 minutes long. I had logs, like spiral-bound logs, um, to work on this project. I was just like throwing myself up against it. And I remember the day that um, uh, Julie said to me, she goes, um, so, you know, uh, per Jorge's, uh, uh, you've done a lot of good stuff on this. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I want to tell you something that Nancy said at one point, and I feel like it's useful to you in this situation, which is, you are better than this story. You are, like, you, like, he, like, he, like this story, um, there, there's, there's flaws in it, and you couldn't have known about them, but, like, there is strength in walking away from this story. And um, I was just like, like, she gave me such a, like, like, I'm so grateful. Like, she's such a, I mean, she's like, she's such a wonderful editor, but she gave me a way to like forgive myself and walk away from this thing. But I think that what it taught me was to just, um, it's hard when it's your own thing, right? And you've put in so much effort. It's like, it's like, but like to push yourself towards the good money after bad sort of question. Um, uh, Phyllis? Hi, thanks. Um, I, liked a lot uh, I liked all the um, input that and your conclusions about psychological self-management and how we were able to see that three people who do really great work all have different processes how do you recommend you talk to your editor about that oh you mean if there's like a difference in like a difference like in... if you haven't told your editor this works for me and this doesn't how oh. how because an editor might not know what your psychological self-management is. I've been on both sides of this, I want to say. So, you know, and I think that it can be hard for people to initiate the conversation, sometimes with the person who's um, approving their pay. Yeah. Um, this works for me. This doesn't. My process is blah, blah, blah. I can commit to you that I'll deliver X if you let me do yeah. this. Um, that, that's, a, yeah. that's a really good question. Um, I feel like um, this is it, it's probably something for harder for, for, for editors for people who have editors that are not like you <laughs> like I feel like like because like transparency and and, and and honesty I feel like in that relationship is so is so clutch um, I feel like the play like the I'm trying to imagine like I've had such good luck I've had such good fortune with editors in my life like there, there's maybe nothing that I'm more grateful for um, I feel like in the course of editing things, you know, if I feel like I have something to offer on that question, it would be that in the course of editing things and being edited, 
I feel like just talking about both the process, but also what the process like that you're trying to shape is geared towards, like what your your goals are. Um, I, if you're on the reporter side, I would advocate for that. Like I, I like I structured it this way because like this is what I was trying to accomplish, and this is what I think is important in this story. And just to like kind of lift up the hood on your on your emotional and 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 journalistic process that that made what your editor is staring at sort of tick. Um, because then if there are issues with it, you know, then they become your teammate in like preserving the goal of like, oh, you wanted this section to work this way. And that's like, you feel like that's really important. I agree that that's really important. Here's the thing that is like sinking your, your attempt to do that. Um, so I guess that, that's what I, I guess just off the fly would, I would offer up. Yeah. So this sort of looks like it's coming, like this structure is coming sort of once you've gone and done the exploring, you have the tape and you've talked to the people and you're dealing with what you have. But I'm wondering what your process is, like where I get really creatively kind of bogged down is the the potential of like, okay, who could be included in this story? You know, there's this person and there's this person, or we could take it here, or we could take it there. Like, is, do you, am I correct in thinking this is sort of the the post list? Like, what what's your sort of pre list like of sort of navigating where things may end up and where they, I don't know, how to get to that place? Yeah, that is that is that is a great question. Um, and this is like a much different animal, I think, because it's, it, I mean, it's a one interview story with a stunt at the end. Like, that's essentially what it is. Um, so in terms of the other ones, um, this is something that I, I said sort of to these questions um, in, in sort of my answers to them, because I, I thought it was only fair that I subject myself to the, the same questions. The, but the, um, just to always be structuring, um, like, I, I think that a lot. Um, in the in the in the in the in the in the voice of uh, of uh, Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> um, always be structuring. Uh, <laughs> um, coffee is for structures. Um, uh, like I, I I I think that like and and I like I I that's like a heat that I try to keep on myself because because I feel like um, from the the moment that you've got the concept that you feel like works like actually structuring your reporting in terms of what you're going to need those people to do when they're on stage um, and I guess from today I would hold up the example of like Andy and the conversation when they're swimming in the ocean and it's sort of like if you want the magic that was contained in the pitch right of just like of like, yeah, and then I just randomly go to this wedding and like I'm swimming in the ocean with this random dude. And, and then I'm like, we get into this weird, you know, sort of one-upsman like comp competition. And then like all of a sudden he's like, well, let me tell you who I am. Like, like if, if, that was, if, that, like if that was going to exist, I knew that we had to like get that in the interview. So I feel like, you know, in the, in the sense of like, you know, okay, so like a reporter's quest, like the, the, uh, the, the calamari story so like there there's like there's like is this happening and then it's like well we have to we need a legitimate version of the allegation right and so it's like okay i got to drill down who's the person that can that can really sort of like um level the indictment of yeah no i was there like i think this is happening and and then they're like who then like okay so where do i turn like who who would who would i logically turn to first but to start structuring like who in your reporting lives where in the sequence that, that you're trying to build? Um, I guess that would be my only sort of, that would, and maybe, maybe it's very practical and obvious, but like that's my only sort of, that would be my advice on that front. 
I'm wondering, so I found this really helpful to think about the action first and kind of worry about transitions later, um, or, or that being part of it. I'm wondering how you actually go about those transitions, because I think um, sometimes writing in between things or connecting things, um, you tend to like mimic what you've heard before, sort of like cliche kind of transitions. And um, what I really like about your stories is they're funny and seem authentic, and I'm wondering how you kind of get to those. Um, at least for me, what works for me is uh, that I deal with the action to the point that I feel like I have it. Like, you know, it's like, like you're like, I have the version of, of him just, I have him, I have him doing the, the knock on the door in a funny way. I have him walking to the door. I have him standing in the door and pointing in a way that like brings the theater of the mind in of like, there was a cop there, there was a cop there, there was a cop there. Okay. I have it. Like that beat of action exists. And then like, I'm just going to leave that alone. I might cut it to make it shorter. I might rearrange it so that it lands better. I might do a lot of things to that tape, but I know I have like, I have all the nuts and bolts to make that little machine of a moment. And then um, once I have that, like I just sort of like I, I will set it aside and like be like, okay, so where does that like where does that leave me and what am I driving towards? And then just to like put a ton of pressure on like what is like it. Um, usually I ask myself like a, a series of questions. One is like if I'm just connecting one moment of action to another, that's easy. Um, then it's just to, 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 to write punchy, to write tight, to write strong, to write actively like in your own voice. Um, and then, but if you need a turn or you need an idea, I think that those are sort of like, those are the, those are the, those are the higher pressure moments. So it's like, is this calling for a turn or is this calling for a big idea? And if it is like, I better come up with one. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that helpful? Well, what is like then how you actually get that on paper? If it is like a turn or something, how do you, if it's not just leading to the next action and you are doing much more of a transition, how do you actually get that down? Oh, I just forced myself to do it. Yeah. Do you talk to people like to try to figure out what the term slash big idea is? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I totally. Yeah, I'll I'll um, I'll force myself to try and have it, and then and then I'll, and then I'll um, audition that for somebody. Um, and you know that it's it's frequently like a phone a friend kind of moment. Oh, uh, hi. Um, my question is about your Pro Tools session, like every editor I've worked with has had a different process in terms of how they go through their drafts. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you've found a way to sort of lay out your sessions that works for you and like how you organize things that you're like, maybe I want to use it, I'm not sure. Like, I would just love to know a little bit more about how you organize it, your drafts. Sure, I mean, so uh, what I will do is, um, so if these are all my raw interviews, uh, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll cut everything that I think I might want to use. Uh, if, if we zoomed in on this, you would see those letters correlating to um, letters on the, on the actual Pro Tools session. So there would be like a, you know, like an A, you know, fight at the store. And then there would be like a B, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so I like, I, I, I go through and just like pull selects. Usually I do it right after I've done the interview if I possibly can, just because it's easier. Um, and then like once I've got sort of like the the universe, like my big palette of tape that I might use, then I create a couple of lines that are just like draft, and I'll I'll throw up like 
you know, the, 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 I'll start throwing up on those lines, like the, the, the things that like, uh, yeah, no, not literally like, yeah, <laughs> it's not that stressful. Um, uh, but like, I'll take the things that I'm like, okay, I know that I want this at the beginning. I need, like those, the things that were in red in that structure, like those will start having homes. Um, and then there will start being sort of like hazy neighbors around those. Um, and then I'll build a version where I'm like, okay, Roughly a world of tape that I might get through, like, and then I'll start working through the, 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 the beats of it in like specificity. Okay, so we'll go from this to this, and this, and this, and then like try it in like just like a spitbally kind of way, and then actually start like working on the actual the the, the stuff of it, and then. Uh, after I have an edit, I'll make a new draft line. So I save my draft line so that if, like, if I'm just like, oh, yeah, like the, everybody misses that bite of tape, like, I know where that was. That was here. And like, I can just easily go back and get it. Um, so it's not, I, I, I try not to uh, kill things permanently. Um, but uh, per the, the, um, the question from earlier, it, you know, some things, uh, I don't always organize it linearly in this way, like line up the interviews one, then the other, then the other. I, I will stack them too, um, and then pull selects and place them behind. It's just another way to, to, that I do it. Um, okay. So I, I have a question. I feel like the pit of despair can come from two different places, and one is about a specific story, which is sort of what we've been dealing with. Mm -hmm. But how do you deal with it when the pit of despair is coming from comparing yourself to other people and being like, oh man, I am never going to be as awesome as Ira Glass. Like, how do I get through that? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, there's actually a, a video that, that, that Ira um, made. I, I, I don't remember what it was for, but it's worth looking up. Um, it's just like a, it's like a hang in there kind of, kind of, kind of video. And, and um, I wish that somebody had made a video like that, like earlier for me, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like there were just like, there was like, like years and years, the, the essence of what, of what, of what he says, which I, I, I feel like um, is, is something that I, like, I still just like think about when I think about the people who like do the stuff that, like listening to, 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 to more perfect or like, um, you know, anything that somebody is like putting out that feels like you have that simultaneous feeling of sort of like awe. You're just like, oh, like that is, that is why I want to do this thing. And then you're also just like, I'm never going to get to eat that. Like, I just like, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, and, and I, and, and what he says is, is just like, um, the essence of what he says, which I think is really compelling, is he's just like what you're what you're in a situation is is just like you know we're all sort of like on a trajectory of learning how to do a thing, and your taste is out is, is is will outstrip your your the tools that you have at your disposal at any given moment. Um, and I feel like one of the great things about being in a part of a creative community, like whether it's public radio or a community like Third Coast, is like you're seeking to surround yourself with people whose sort of like creativity and performance and what they're making is going to outstrip sort of like the tools that you have at your disposal. But there is such joy in in gathering those tools, like as as time goes by, and like and and just sort of like, you know, I mean, I call it the pit of despair, right? But like. 
the despair isn't 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 what makes it tick, right? It's it's the getting up the muddy hill, and and there's like it's the it's it's the triumph. So I feel like to concentrate on those, to be honest about like where the gaps are, but then also be like to, to feel that triumph when you do sort of like you know raise the level of what you're able to do. Is that helpful? Yeah, I mean, and I think that that that's sort of part of the question of how do you maintain the joy of of doing the process when you feel like you're falling short of where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I just feel like being, like, relishing that part of being part of a, a, an ecosystem of people who are making a thing. And, like, um, I love reporting on politics. Um, I think it's a, a fascinating world. Um, I love... Uh, Sam's reporting, and I love Zoe's reporting, um, and they have done things in this year um, that I have just been in awe of, like that I have listened to on the radio, and I wanted to like stand up and and applaud, um, and simultaneously um, taking in the things that 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 they can do that I can't do, you know, I don't know. I just like appreciating that. I, I guess like both like trying to learn from what they're doing, and then also appreciating the beauty and in, in what they're bringing to the work. I got a question. So if every story is a tortured wallowing, uh, an upward climb, is there anything that you get at, at, that you, you lock it down at which point you're like, all right, I got this? And is there ever a, a point at which you've seen that it's going to be something really special? Um. I wouldn't, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to paint such a dark picture, like, I don't want to paint, paint too dark a picture of just, like, of just, like, like, I wasn't going to tell anybody this, but I didn't know that the pit of despair is something outside of the Princess Bride, right? Like, so it's in the Princess Bride, and, like, like the man in black is on the table, and, like, he wakes up, and he's like, where am I? And, and the guy's like, you're in the pit of despair. <coughs> you're in the pit of despair. And, like, you're never going to get out of here. And he's like, you mean until I die? And he's like, or until they kill you. And like, like, th like, there's that, and then like, but the pit of despair is actually like a really dark thing, which is like, there was this guy. I didn't. I, I named this before I found this out, but there was a, a researcher at the University of Wisconsin who researched primates and was like a sadistic bastard, um, and made this thing called the pit of despair, which had metal walls that a monkey could not get out of. Um, and so he would put a primate in there and leave them in there until they would despair and they would give up trying to get out of this this pit. Um, so all of that to say, like that is not the feeling that I want for like out of this, and it is not the feeling that I associate with like every story that I make. Like I feel like, like if if if, if that's what I've done, I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the world of radio right now. So so stop me. Um, there are stories that I feel like you you see clearly from like early on, and they like lay themselves out. And nothing could be more enjoyable. And I think that that's why I try and sort of why I personally organize the, my process in the way that I do. Like I want to do the heavy lifting first, because then once I've done that, I take no greater joy than like. It was also interesting to to to, to hear from um, um, friends who who don't enjoy the writing process. Like I feel like once I've got the hard things out of the way, and like I've got tape that I just love and moments that I love, like. 
there's nothing I find more enjoyable than like working my way through that section and trying things out, trying jokes, trying trying language, making things that are too long, you know, cutting them down, you know. Um, like I just I love that, and I love the edits. I love editing with people who are, are like illuminate the things I'm not seeing. I love that process. So um, I don't know if that fully answers your question. Um, what about um, have you ever gotten an accurate sense that it's going to be really really good? Early uh, on? Oh, you like when you're like when you're like oh I got a good one on my hands here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, like, I feel like it occurs at different points in the process. Like, I feel like sometimes it's earlier on that you're just like, this is going to work out. Like, this is, this is, this is, this is going to work out. And then it's sometimes you've written a 75-minute draft and somebody's like, there's strength in killing the story. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Ben, how's it going? Hey, how uh, are you? Hey, good. <laughs> Um, I, I just want to make a comment first about the person who said um, they've been leaving the transitions to later. One thing I've been doing with my stories lately is to like actually line up all of the sounds I want to have as tra transitions and think of them as windows that we're like going through through the whole story. So like to really keep a sense of movement in the story. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't say skip the trend. I mean you can do it a million different ways. But anyway. But one thing I was wondering about is if you wrote your news stories differently from these like really character driven. You know, could you talk about structuring a four minute news yes. piece since a lot of us are doing daily news? Yes, and I am just gonna completely steal the shit out of something that um, Robert Smith does. Um, one of the biggest differences I've found is if you've got a four-minute news story, there's exactly two types of stories. There's the type of story that is this thing happened, so-and-so was there. You start in one place, you work your way through the events of what happened, you get to the end of it, and you're just like you say something about it, and you either look forward or you um, give people like some version of a takeaway or you, you do something at the end that's kind of endy and like, like voila. And then I feel like... Um, there's uh, a strategy that Robert has talked about, which um, I, I, like, I, I, I never thought of this. And then like the day that he said this, I was just like, this is why you're Robert Smith. Um, it, it, he, he was like, when I go out to something and like, I'm going to have to turn something around somewhat quickly. And I think this would, this would be true if you were working on a story that you even had a couple days to do. If you're working on four minutes, you've essentially got time to do three things. Like you have... You have time, like each one is like a minute to a minute and a half. You've got time to like work people up to a thing, play some bites of tape, land the point of that section, turn to the next section, work your way through whatever else is going to happen. I think there's, the, I, I think that he's totally right that like in general with just like the pacing that our brains work at, like you've got like generally th three, three, three things you can do. Um, and I think that you can get to four if you're really fast, but like on average. And so he's got this great thing. I would totally recommend going back to watch it. Like he gave a talk at Third Coast a few years ago. He covered James Brown's funeral and he was going to have to turn around the story in like an hour. And so he went and he was like, I got to have my shopping list. And he was like, okay, so what do I do? First scene, first scene, people lining up outside. Who's here? What are they doing? What are they wearing? What are they playing? What are the sounds in the street? Then we go in. 
what is the sound inside the memorial? Like, who am I hearing from? They're talking about, like, how he's laid out. They're talking about, like, just the experience of being there. You're hearing the sounds of the scene inside the memorial. You come outside, and then people are reflective. You're in a reflective moment of people, like, talking about what James Brown meant to the world and talking about his music and his music in their life. And he's like, okay. And so he, like, went and, like... Um, that's roughly what he got. He had to make some decisions on the fly, but like that was a, that was a model that when I heard it, it was just like ding. And then I was like, uh, it you know I, I I had never thought of it, but I realized that I'd sort of internalized some of the principles um, of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, God, I wish I had an, a good answer for that. Um, I mean, I f- that's one of the reasons that I feel like, I mean, this is, this is not an answer to that, but I just feel like good editing is so precious. Like, I just feel like it is so, so precious. And collecting people who, like, I don't know, like, I've collected people who outside of, you know, sort of my normal editorial world, like, I'm not working on stories at the moment. I'm doing a much different job. Um, but like, when, like when I'm like working on radio, like I will call. Like it would not be unusual for my old editor at BEZ to get a call from me about a thing that I was trying to work through, or um, Sonari Glitton, or you know Zoe, or like you know like like I, like like I, I have a very active list of just like of okay, can 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 we answer what's what's not working here? And then if it feels like we can't, then like you know, not out of undermining anybody or being subversive, but just, like, having it, like, you know, sort of seeking other opinions. Uh, Um, I'm losing my voice, so I apologize. Um, So I I used to, like, when I would structure things, I used to, like, make, like, kind of, like, word web things, and then I saw you give a talk last year, and I was like, oh, that's how you do it. And then I started doing it, and it's great. It totally works, so thank you. Um, Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I, but since, it's weird, because, like, since doing that, um, like I found structuring a lot easier and it's kind of like there's no way to say this and it doesn't sound smug but this is like why I'm asking as it is a question like like structuring is kind of like in my own work starting to get easier and and I and I'm like I'm looking I'm, I'm, it's funny because like you guys like I mean you guys are the rock stars like you know here like the fact that like everyone there's no echelon that you like a hit in radio where like structuring gets easier or people talk about it as less of a problem and so I'm wondering like if, if I'm, like, not struggling with structuring as much, am I, like, not... Like, what am I doing wrong in the process earlier on, right? <laughs> like, like if, 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 like, the, if the structuring is in the... I feel like, you know, am I doing too many the same kinds of stories? Or, like, it's sort of a different way of approach... Like, do you think about how you approach... Does your different approach, like, affect how you later structure? Are, are, you, are you saying, like, like, does it have... Like, should it be a more struggly? Well, I just feel like if I'm not... Wor- if I, like, if I'm not... Like failing, I'm not working hard. Enough. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like, 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 like we're in, like, like we're in, like we're in a, like we're in a question that's like I feel like I feel like a lot of this, honestly. Like, I feel like I, like all I can do is like offer my own experience because like, like so much of it is beyond my like creative pay grade. Like, the way that I would think about it, or that I have thought about it, like, I feel like struggling less with structure and having more of a like more of more clarity in the process 
has, in stories that I've worked on, freed me to spend more time with the really difficult questions and like the the complexities of the story. Like, I remember there there there. Um, so there was a story that that I worked on. This was the last thing I did at This American Life before I left. It was this uh, hour long thing about um, the, the uh, uh, Hasidim had moved into an, an area north of New York and. Um, they, they don't use the, the public school system. Um, uh, all their kids are in private schools um, in yeshivas, and that was always a tension because they're paying these suburban property taxes, they, and, they, they, and they, they can't use the, the benefits of that. So they, uh, people had run for the school board, taken over the school board, and were controlling the school board um, and, and uh, like defunding things. Um, and and uh, so it was like super fascinating story. It was super difficult for me. There, 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 there's like so many. There's so many complexities. Like all of the thorns of like local politics, where everybody is super fucking pissed off and like like super in the weeds of what they're fighting about. There was no main character, um, and uh, in sort of having, I, I felt like in having more process to structuring that. Like I remember an edit where I was sitting in a in a <coughs> in a room with Julie, <coughs> and we were working on a draft of that. Um, and and um, we were just like moving around like chunks of it in our in our head and like talking about the questions that would occur for the listener and if we did it this way what would happen if we did it that way what would happen um, and I guess that the fact that the, the like the tape structuring part of it had been a little lighter for me I felt like it empowered me to like. Um, have that conversation with her uh, in a in a way that like it was just so fun like you're just like working with like big ideas and like so I, I guess if it, like I don't know that that's the way I that I kind of think about it so um, thank you guys so much for coming. <laughs>